This is the South Bend Beat Podcast, presented by Alpha Dog Agency. This week on South Bend Beat, we have John Nunemaker. John has a pretty unique story. Uh, He's one of the few people from this area that developed software, uh, sold it to Silicon Valley, and just has a success story kind of on the tech side of things. Uh, And I definitely wanted to get him in here to talk about that for a little bit. We also talk about a few of his hobbies, being coffee and basketball, and uh, we kind of touch on from when he started uh, his career path uh, with being a developer, engineer, however you want to put it, all the way up to acquisition and what he's doing current day. Uh, this was a really fun one to record, so I hope you enjoy. John Nunemaker, how are you doing? Good. So the question I want to ask first, what do you consider yourself, like programmer, developer, engineer? When someone asks you, what do you say? I say programmer. Programmer? Yep. Um, and it's always been that way. What are, is there any difference between the three? Um some people well i used to say developer i don't know why at some point i changed to programmer um people i think generally in san francisco and like that they say engineer but engineer just feels far too fancy for me i feel like uh engineers i think typically design and build stuff um so they're kind of twofold whereas i'm not really designing anything or making anything look nice it's mostly just making it work so that's why I kind of dropped back to programmer. And it just, I think at some point it became cool because nobody else was programmers. They yeah. were developers or engineers. And so then I was like, I'm a programmer. So how long have you, when did you, how did you get started into programming? I got started, I always liked math growing up and thought I was okay at it. And then at Bethel, they had um, computer information systems as a major. And then they had a one that was more intense on the math side. And for me, I was like, I'm okay with kind of the blend of business and programming or computer stuff. And so I just kind of hopped into it and that's kind of what got me started. And then I just kind of, I enjoyed it. It was okay. And then as we went on, um, I took a May term class that I don't even know if they do those anymore, where it's one month. It's that's all you do is one class, three hours a day, and then homework for like three more hours. And it was on web design and it was like a little bit of Photoshop and a little bit of Dreamweaver and stuff like that and just got hooked that I could put something on the internet and my mom could see it the next minute. That was pretty cool. So was that your major from day one? I think so, yeah. I don't remember ever changing majors. I remember taking calculus my first semester and I was like, nope, not for me. (laughs) (laughs) I switched to like finite math, I think, or something, which was like a business math course. And I was like, okay, that's enough calculus. I did end up taking some applied calculus, which is like determining the distance of like, how long a stoplight should be yellow. And I'm like, that's actually really interesting. But calculus on its own was just uh, more than I was ready to get into. So at what point did you start, I guess, like freelance building when you were at Bethel, kind of doing your own thing outside of what was required in the classroom? Yeah, so that would be my junior year. I took the May term class. I knew that that was what I wanted to do was web stuff, not just general programming. Before that had been like, C and Perl and languages that are kind of 
lower level and you kind of just build terminal applications and stuff. And that was, was boring because you couldn't share it as much. So um, my senior year, the first semester, I took a independent study and I used that. I kind of parlayed it into some cash too and did my independent study on building a bed and breakfast website for this bed and breakfast that I knew. And so they paid me like $400 and I also got school credit for it, which is mm -hmm. pretty cool. So they got a cheap website and I got school credit. So it was good for, and I got some cash, which is awesome in college. Um, so that was the first, it was kind of partly school, but also partly hustling a little bit. And then uh, the second semester I ended up randomly someone, I made like eight websites for myself in that year. And uh, the manager over at uh, Skyline RV stumbled on my website somehow, probably Googled like web Mishawaka and that was the only yeah. site or something. <laughs> <laughs> this is like 20 years ago. And uh, so he gave me an internship um, and then I ended up kind of sticking there through the end of college and for a couple months before I moved on to my first like real job. So the the software apps, so what, how would you describe what you had built out? Software apps, what would you go? Uh, yeah, apps. I mean, apps? Yep. It's yeah, pretty much the same thing to me, software apps. And I would, I would say maybe the only difference is some people might qualify apps as only being like iPhone apps or Android or something like that. And I usually just say apps. Yeah. As the more base term of yep. applications. Yep. Yeah. So when did you start uh, building on like the specific apps that would end up becoming fruitful, fruitful down the road? Yeah, that, that was probably, I would say 2007 or 2008. Um, yeah. It was a long road before that of like, you know, the stuff Take us through that long road before. Uh, under the iceberg. So it was like um, I worked for a small consultancy in Goshen, um, mm -hmm. Digital Hill, and and cranked out a ton of websites and different things. Um, and then from that, I went to University of Notre Dame. And when I was there, I noticed we, we were just building the same websites over and over and over. Different look and feel, but like the same basic idea of, you know, home about page, that kind of stuff. And after you build it so many times, you're like, oh my goodness, I just keep repeating myself. Yep. And we were using some content management system from like Adobe at the time. I don't even remember what it's called, where you could have like editable regions of a website. And uh, Ruby and Rails, the technology that, I, that I've kind of latched onto the last 10 years or so, was just coming out and I was really interested in it. So I started playing around with that. And there was some people that I followed that had made a content management system. And so I was like, for websites. And so I was like, okay, like the, I could do this. I can basically like kind of take what they have and build it for Notre Dame so we can just more quickly crank out the websites there. We could have some base templates that we start with, um, you know, customize them a little bit for each client. And that would allow us to basically, you know, do one of two things. One, we worked kind of as an agency inside the, the of the university. So we could either crank out more and have higher profit margins, which we could then put into projects that we felt should be done but didn't have budgets. Or it could allow us to lower the prices and have all the work that was outside of the university being done by, you know, bigger agencies and stuff like that could then move inside because we could beat them on a price point. So that was kind of the idea was increase the efficiency so that we could, you know, basically further the mission of the, of the university. And so I think that's kind of what, that's where I met Steve, who I ended up partnering with. And that's kind of what got me into realizing that and this was kind of 2006, 2007, it was starting to be really popular to build your own software indie style and like uh, bootstrap was like a huge term. So it was all about funding your own projects with, with your own, you know, money consulting, things like that. So when I joined Steve and I don't even remember when it was 2007 or 2008, 
uh, that was the first thing we did. We were like, okay, we built Conductor was the, the website kind of uh, generator thing that we built inside of Notre Dame. We were like, we need to do the exact same thing because we were consultants on the outside in the same way just for anyone rather than just for the university. And we were like, we need to do the same thing out here. And then we can also charge for it. So it'll help us twofold. One, it'll help us make websites for our clients faster and easier for them to update, easier for us to build. But then two, it will also give us recurring revenue on the on the monetary side because th those clients will be paying for us monthly as well. So that was kind of, I think, the winding path, I guess, that went to like building the software that started getting people excited about what we were doing. So what were you doing on a daily basis when you started building the software that would, you know, end up? Yeah. Uh, consulting. I mean, it was a hundred percent. It was like, uh, we were just cranking out websites. So we would have, um, we were kind of, because we were only, there was only two of us, we weren't big enough to take on monster clients. Um, we, and, but we were, and we didn't want to do a lot of small things. So we kind of almost ended up like, um, hired guns or like supplemental team where we would come in the two of us and Steve could kind of work on front end side of things with the, the whatever front end team for the company. And then I could kind of work on the back end side with the, uh, you know, the back end programmers. And then because we had, you know, a strong relationship together on the work, we were able to kind of bring teams together and then help make them, you know, move a little faster and get more done. So I think that's kind of, uh, what we were doing. I mean, we were doing that completely full-time, but we knew long-term that the best thing you can do, you always have to have a long-term focus. Consulting is a, like a honeypot because there's a lot of revenue right now. And so it's really hard to look at the long-term and stop doing consulting work where you know if you know an hour of input is gonna be X dollars and to instead spend, I mean, almost a, a year building Harmony on the side, uh, which I would say on the side was like another 20 hours a week on top of 40 or 50 consulting. But we knew long-term that was kind of the route was to have something that just sat there and made money regardless of whether we actually worked or not. So, so for how long of a period of a time were you putting in like 60 to 70, 80 hour weeks? Many years. <laughs> yeah. It was You're smiling a long time. like it was a while. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't always that way. Um, there would be ebbs and flows. So there'd be time where consulting would like 2008 when the crisis happened, consulting, uh, lowered quite a bit in in the hours because everybody was like whoa holding on to their money and they're a little bit worried um and i remember we were fine we had plenty of work but it was with a client who was just like you know as much as you can give us is fine and it was kind of a a, a discounted rate but it was more flexible so it allowed us to basically take turns kind of working on on harmony and on other projects and stuff like that so we were able to say okay we can pay the bills over here and maybe have a, a little bit, you know, extra each quarter or something like that. And then also just devote the rest of the time for your long term yep, play on the long term play. And that was Harmony. Yep, that was Harmony. So kind of take us through what Harmony is. Yep, Harmony was a content management system. It was built for developers and for like, you know, end users. So people who manage their websites. And the goal was basically that you would never not need a developer. Um, you'd always need somebody to come in and like build your templates and stuff like that. But I think what was really cool about it. Um, is that we kind of made it so that the developer could define, you know, uh, basically like a form builder almost, kind of like what Google does now with where you can fill out a, a form and it'll go right into an Excel spreadsheet. Except what we did instead is it was kind of a form builder, and this was before that, so it, it was a form builder that basically would then get inserted into like a, a beautiful template on the front side so that your website would look, you know, totally custom unique, 
completely not like I mean, WordPress was super popular, obviously still now, but then as well. And WordPress, they all kind of look the same. They mm -hmm. all looked like a blog. This, it could be anything. We had, you know, calendars of events. We had all kinds of different things. The same thing we had kind of done at Notre Dame. And it just allowed uh, end user people to go in and just like put in a title, put in like a tiny bit of, you know, body text. And then they would have this beautiful page. They didn't have to have this, you know, uh, editor where they could drag and drop things all over the place and possibly make the, the website not look good. Mm -hmm. So we kind of locked it down so that developers could, could make sure that, and designers could say, this is what it's going to look good as. And then you can put anything you want in here. You can't make it look bad. You'll, you don't have to worry about that side. So we make it look good. You just put the content in that you need. Um, and so that's, that's basically what harmony was, was separating kind of content and presentation so that, uh, end users could just focus on the content and then developers and designers could focus on the presentation side. Now, when you're building out software like that, is acquisition always the goal? I, uh, you mean acquisition of customers or acquisition of getting purchased by a getting company? purchased. Um, it was never our goal. We didn't think about it at all. I don't know, you know, for other people, I think a lot of people do build with acquisition in mind for us. I don't, we were just thinking we want to wake up in the morning and work on whatever we want. That mm -hmm. was the dream. It was like, uh, DHH from 37 signals and all these uh, other people at that time were just really pushing the dream is bootstrapping and you wake up and you just work on whatever makes you happy kind of a thing. Um, so that was like the pie in the sky was just wake up and like have enough recurring revenue to, to, to cover the expenses so we could just work on whatever we wanted. And I don't think we, we even, I know we did not think about acquisition at all. So, so how did that come about? That came about because we hustled a lot. And so what we did when we hustled is we went to a ton of conferences and we spoke a bunch. Um, there were many months where two, three times a month, um, you know, I'd be at RubyConf, RailsConf, uh, MongoConf, all the different, you know, conference. All the cons. Yep. yep. We went to all the cons and we just sold. We didn't sell Harmony or any of the other products. We just sold, here's how we built this and here's, you know, what we're doing using whatever technology the conference was for. But because everything we were doing, we were building for developers and for designers. If Steve went to a design conference and he sold it, he would he would basically be like, here's how you can make these awesome, beautiful websites that your clients can't, you know, possibly mess up. And if I went to a programming one, I'd be like, you know, here's how you can do all these cool, uh, hard, you know, programming things that you, you can't do in other content management systems, you can do in this one. And so we would just kind of, uh, I think, sell it that way and then, through that, you make friends. And um, some of the people that we made uh, friends with ended up uh, really building uh, some great new software that everyone got super excited about that took off, I mean, you know, like a hockey stick up and to the right and completely dwarfed what we were doing. Uh, but they liked the, the way we were building software. And so I think that's kind of how we connected with them is that it's just talking about how we're building stuff at conferences and you know, going to the, the bars or whatever, and just hashing out how we're doing things. And then that just led one thing to another. And so, so what can you tell us about the, cause I think people watch movies or TV shows like Silicon Valley <laughs> and they see what that life is like, or they yeah. kind of see what, how the end goal goes. What can you tell us about the nitty gritty as far as like how it was actually going through an acquisition or even something that you mentioned, you put so many hours into, it's kind of like handing off your baby. Yeah. Um, it's going to be ownership elsewhere. How did that go? Yeah, that's a very good question. So first the baby standpoint, um, that was actually easy because our baby was 
free time. Our baby was, we wanted, we were trying to grow the ability to wake up and work on whatever we wanted to. And the company that was acquiring us, GitHub, they, at that point in time, you know, 50 people, and that was their style. Their style was, you know, wake up, work on whatever you want to make the software better. And that's, that's how they kind of did business. It was very radically different from a lot of software companies, uh, especially back then. And so I think from our standpoint, we, we saw it as like, well, this is the end goal. The end goal was to get to a point where we can wake up and work on whatever we want. They're giving us the opportunity to do that. And we know they're great people. So that was, that was, it was not hard to give away the, the products because the products weren't the baby. It was the idea or, or that dream of being able to wake up and do whatever. Um, what was the first part of so it? Like the nitty gritty of yeah, like how it even came about. Yeah. So the nitty gritty, um, I was in talking at RubyConf, um, a conference and I was given a, some presentation. I don't remember what it was about. And afterwards I, Chris, um, was the CEO at GitHub at the time, Chris Wanstroth and he, we ran to each other in the hotel bar and just sat down and started talking and uh, talked about, he was real curious about what we were doing and stuff like that. And then later that weekend, uh, he sent me this random email and he was like, hey, what if I invested in ordered list? And that was our company at the time. And I was like, you know, that's awesome. Cause he's like, got this new company everybody knows about. They're doing fantastic. Like uh, it was really flattering, but we didn't really, we were consulting, we were doing fine. We didn't really need cash. We more just needed you know, his advice or things like that. So, so I kind of waited cause I was like, I don't know how to respond, but this is cool. And then as I waited the next day, he sent me another email and he was like, sorry. He's like, I had a couple beers. I got really excited and I sent you the email, <laughs> but I didn't explain to you how I could help you. He's like, it's really not about the money. I think I can help you in these other ways. And I, and then I didn't respond again. And then he was like, what if I just flew to South Bend? <laughs> and, I mean, this was like just over the weekend. And so he, he flew to South Bend. It's not like you were ignoring him for months. No, <laughs> I, I was not ignoring him intentionally to, to like draw him out either or anything. It was just, and he's a super nice guy. So he flew, flew out here and we talked, uh, a bunch and he was like, well, what if we just, uh, acquired you guys? We just like what you're doing. We had at that time, I think uh, three employees and uh, just had brought on the third one maybe a couple months before that. How and many pro properties are, I guess, like software? How many applications we did you have? We had three applications. Harmony was the one. Um, and when you have websites, which is what Harmony did, the first thing you want to know is how are they doing? And so we were like, well, we need stats. And everybody used Google Analytics and nobody knew how to use Google Analytics. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was the second thing we built was gauges, which is basically website analytics that were simple. So it was just like, here are like the five things you should care about in the time intervals that you should care about. And you, and you got a daily email from it as well, which was, was nice, you know, to, to every morning wake up and be like, oh, this is how my website has been doing and uh, stuff like that. So those were two of them. And then the third one was we were talking so much. The only thing at the time to share those talks online was SlideShare. And SlideShare was absolutely uh, dumpster fire at the time. And so I think we were like, okay, we can, it was just ads everywhere. There was no focus on the content at all. So we just built uh, what we called speaker deck and it was uh, beautiful, you know, shareable presentations. And it was a focus on the actual, your actual content rather than on, you know, ads everywhere and stuff like that. And so those are the three, three properties that we had. And he, he had interest in all three. He didn't want to parse out. He wanted to buy you as a whole. So they basically wanted us and the products were kind of, I guess, hilariously, they didn't really care about the products at all. They mostly just wanted us to do what we were doing on those products, but for them. So they wanted more in-depth analytics for 
uh, GitHub. They wanted better at the time. Uh, GitHub had some things for creating websites for your open source projects. So they wanted, you know, some of the Harmony ideas brought into that. They liked SpeakerDAC and so they kept that. But basically the other two, I would say Harmony immediately was sold. I mean, probably within, we just found a good home. We had some friends in Holland, Michigan and handed it off to them for, I mean, a very small sum of money. And they're still running it today. So I still have some of my websites in it. And then uh, Gages was bought also by some friends in Indy. Um, and then eventually they sold it to someone else. Uh, so it's now somewhere, uh, I don't even know who owns it now. Um, but basically those just kind of parted almost immediately. Harmony was within a month. Gages was probably within a year. Speaker Deck they tried to do some stuff with, but uh, just didn't, I don't know, just didn't, maybe went a little too big with it, a little too wide, didn't, didn't focus uh, narrow in enough. And so uh, just kind of let it sit. Um, and then right before I left, I actually kind of, I bought Speaker Deck back um, right before the uh, GitHub got bought by Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft owns LinkedIn, LinkedIn owns SlideShare. So Speaker Deck and SlideShare would have been competitors. They would have just shut Speaker Deck mm -hmm. down because it's a rounding error for SlideShare. And so uh, GitHub was super kind and gave it back to me for very, very little money. So it was a, it's a little different than what a lot of people see on Shark Tank when they do offer the 100% deal yeah. and then the founders or owners you know, kind of just go away. It was the opposite with you. Yep. Uh, is that very common to where they'll bring the talent with them? Yeah, so okay. I think the term that most people use is like aqua hire or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's basically like you acquire the company just for the people and then the product gets shut down. It happens all the time in tech. Um, there are definitely times where they try and integrate, you know, the product or keep the product running separate. Uh, that's, I feel like, a lot more common in small or maybe to medium-sized businesses. But larger businesses, I would say the majority of the time, it's they, they're just getting the people a couple pieces of tech and then they take it they completely shut down whatever's there or sell it or whatever but usually it's more common to shut down github was just nicer about it um and then yeah they just plug that tech into whatever they want to do so did you get assurances going as far as i, I mean i'm sure you, you went with a contract but um yep. you said freedom and being able to do what you wanted was a big thing did you yep. have any uh, did you have any doubts about, well, am I going to just be a nine to five employee yeah. showing up somewhere now? Is that something that got hashed out before all the paperwork was signed? Yeah, we went out to San Francisco and talked to them. And I remember we sat around, they had a room called the Situation Room, which was hilariously like designed with clocks for different time zones and all this stuff to try and make it look yeah. important. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I remember it was blazing hot in there. And, uh, you know, Steve and I were basically like, we don't want to just be employees. We would like, you know, uh, some input. But honestly, I don't think that really ever worked out. And I think it was okay. Um, you know, we ended up just finding our spots in the company where we were happy and that was okay. Um, I, I mean, as far as the actual acquisition went and things like that, I would say like one tip I would pass on to people is, uh, budget legal fees because I was going to say, did you need some lawyers? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't do it without a lawyer. Uh, you can, but you're foolish if you do. So I remember like when we first GitHub was up and coming. So they got like some fancy law firm that like was basically doing it for free because they just wanted to earn their other business. And so we got I don't somebody local. I don't remember who anymore. And we, we literally all agreed on everything uh, but then when it went into legal paperwork, this 
big time company basically put in things where like Steve and I were personally liable, like to lose our houses if anything, any lawsuits came in and all these kinds of crazy things that like our lawyer was like, you realize you could be like literally personally bankrupt if anything happens to these. And we're like, well, it's not going to happen. And he's like, I would legally recommend that you be smart about this, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so we were, so we went through and we, you know, hashed all that stuff out. And I would say like what we actually did, we made the lawyers pretty unhappy. We, we started December 5th. And we told them both legal teams were like, we're starting work and this is going to happen. You guys need to hash this out and get the contracts done. But like we're moving forward because both parties trust each other and know this is going to be fine. Uh, I think the actual paperwork got done like three or four months later. And we finally had to both sides like uh, Steve and I and Chris, we just went to both lawyers, got everybody on a call. And we were like, both of you just end this right now. We're going to sign the papers and we're done. So um, that was definitely, I would say legal fees were of the initial stuff. They were probably easily would have been 20% of the, of the acquisition. Um, they were, it was high. It was a lot, but I mean, it, merging two companies, that's a big thing. And we actually had split our companies into S Corp for like consulting and then an LLC for the products. Um, because I guess we did think about acquisition because we, we did the, I kind of forgot about that. We did the one company separate so that if it was acquired, if any of the products were required, it would be separate from the consulting and mm -hmm. it wouldn't close that down. Um, so at some point we thought about that, but we had actually purchased like domains for the products through the S Corp and like, you know, things like that. You just don't think about when it's just all you, uh, but like we had to do all these legal conveyances of like the S Corp granting it over to the LLC and vice, all these crazy things that added to it just because we didn't keep everything perfectly neat and tidy. Um, so there's some funny things there, but mostly I would say, yeah, you, you definitely need lawyers. Uh, you want to make sure that like, what's your liability personally and stuff like that. Um, those were kind of the, I guess the fascinating parts of it. So how long did you work for GitHub? Almost seven years. I, I think I resigned. My last day was like November 5th of 2018. And my first day was December 5th of 2011, 2011. And so. those years you were able to work here, you were out, yep. where you were out in the Bay Area? Yep. I, I would go out for, they had company summits once or twice a year. Um, I'd go out for those. I'd maybe go out once or twice. Other than that, uh, we were free to go out as much as we wanted to to San Francisco, as much as we needed or, or any of the other places where there were GitHubbers, as long as it was, you know, in some way work focused. Uh, but I was never huge on traveling. I kind of got burned out when in the ordered list time of all the traveling that we were doing when we were hustling and everything. Um, so, so I didn't go out a lot, but yeah, I worked remotely, uh, mostly from my house. Initially it was from coffee shops and stuff like that. And then eventually you hit a point where like, there's just not good enough Wi-Fi, And so you end up back at home. So now was it a difficult transition to go from kind of building with big dreams to more? So I have a task to do today for GitHub. Um, mm -hmm. or, or was it kind of just the same thing? It was definitely different. I think the hard, there was a, the biggest loss that I felt or, or difficult part was not being involved in strategy. That's, mm -hmm. that's difficult. Like when you're, when you have your own company, your strategy is super important. And so you spend a lot of time on it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go to this other company and for a while we had leadership meetings where like they were all in San Francisco and Steve and I were in South Bend and we would be, you know, video conferenced in, but it was always like, oh yes, Steve or John has their hand up. Like, we've been talking for 10 minutes, we should stop, you know, like it, it didn't, it wasn't like really, there wasn't a good way to integrate it uh, back then. And so, I mean, it was only 10 years ago or whatever, but like that I think was the hard part. And then, so then it's just like, it's natural when you're, we see someone every day, 
you, you bounce ideas off them, you have all that kind of stuff. And when you, when they're separated by, you know, three hours in time zones, you only have a small overlap. You're not seeing each other face to face. So you just kind of naturally, I think we just naturally realized leadership wasn't really going to be, uh, possible mm -hmm. and strategy, you know, strategy and all that kind of stuff. So we just kind of naturally migrated, just, you know, doing our best on, uh, the programming and the design and, and those kinds of things, the parts of the app that we worked on. Now, you mentioned that you resigned almost a year ago, um, and that let, that was off the heels of another acquisition yep. of GitHub. Can you take us through the GitHub acquisition and what that meant for you personally mm -hmm. and what led to the resignation? Yeah, I, I was like, I think the maybe 2017, I started realizing that I, maybe even 2016, I, I didn't want to work at GitHub anymore. It went from 2011, we were our five people from order list were 45 through 50. And mm -hmm. when I resigned in 2018, I think it was over a thousand. So you're talking in five or six years, basically adding hundreds of bodies a year. Um, because not all the, the thousand people stayed the entire time. So we probably had hired, you know, maybe, maybe it was 2000, maybe it was three. I have no idea how many people came and went during that period, but there were a lot of people going in and out. And, and as people come in, you just move farther down the chain. I think at the end, you know, like when I started, I was, it was like the CEO. And then like, there was like, you know, me and everyone else, we yeah. were really flat. Uh, and then when I left, it was, I think I was eight levels deep or something like that. Um, even just getting something past, you know, a, like a couple levels up was difficult. So I, that's not my style. I just, I love, I'm all about return on investment and whether the investment is time or, or money or whatever it is, like, I just want to make an impact. And I didn't feel at the end that I could really make the impact to the level that I wanted to. I would rather be, I don't know, I guess, I don't know if that's wrong or not, but I'd rather be a big fish in a small pond than mm -hmm. a, you know, small fish in a big pond. So it's just more fun to, to feel like, you know, I did that or I really helped with that a lot. And so about 2016, 17, I knew that was, uh, I kind of wanted to leave. So I started coming up with side things because I knew that would naturally be what, what I wanted to do. I'd probably do the same thing I did before consulting and and uh, work on side projects. So started trying to turn some of my side projects into things that would maybe earn earn money. And then uh, when the Microsoft stuff uh, happened, there were, I had been trying to acquire Speaker Deck back because they weren't doing anything with it. I thought, well, that could be a good side project that could maybe make some money. Um, and so, and they had been dragging their feet for like a year. And then all of a sudden it was like a Friday and they were like, hey, we need to close today on this. And I was like, oh, I'm like, okay. <laughs> And, and like literally like two hours later, there were just rumors everywhere that Microsoft- so they were just tying up loose ends? Yep. yep. So they were basically like, they were just about to announce the acquisition and they had to make sure that everything was was cleared off before then. So we literally like, we like signed the paperwork and like two hours later, it was like, Microsoft might be buying. And then two, like a day <laughs> later, it was like, there was, you know, that Monday, I think uh, we got an email that was like, please join us for an all hands where we're going to talk about something. <laughs> <laughs> something. And, <huh>? Yeah. <laughs> like really after the entire weekend of, uh, you know, a billion tech articles about Microsoft <laughs> buying us. Um, and so they did. And, and like two days later, my daughter was born and GitHub had an amazing paternity leave. I went on paternity leave. Um, and that, that was basically, so they announced the acquisition, but I didn't know this before, but there, the way big companies like that work, there's tons of stuff you have to go through. So, you know, they have to get approval in the US, they had to get approval in the European Union, they had to get approval, like basically anywhere Microsoft's doing business, like the GitHub might also do business and stuff like that. So they announce and they kind of come to terms, 
but those terms aren't complete until all the approvals actually happen. Um, and then, you know, so that took, I think they announced it in June and it wasn't until November or late October um, when they finally like signed, you know, GitHub actually signed the paperwork and everything was done. So it's a long process. Um, so were, were you back to work by that time? I was just, so hilariously enough, the Friday that was my last paternity leave day um, was the day that they had the Microsoft signing party. And so then the next Monday <laughs> I went into work and I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm resigning. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was the, and they worked were totally, out for you. It did. I, I got to miss, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that the t I was on the security team at that point. There was a ton of stuff that the security team had to do for passing security audits for Microsoft. So, so Dylan, I'm not a mathematician like you are, but that, that adds up to a pretty solid uh, paternity leave yep, that you yep. had. Yeah. It worked <laughs> out really good. So we got, so yes, they had, they, so when I had my son, which was four or five years ago, they had four months paternity leave. And wow. in the time between that and the time to where, you know, we are now, they had five months. So for, for fathers, it was for both, it e either father or mother, wow. five months. That's and, really good. And the, you could even take off I, another five months or up to a year after that unpaid if you wanted to. So they did five months of your full salary. And wow. then after that, they would, yeah, I mean. Is that common in tech firms or in not even it's not becoming there. very common yeah. because they're competing they're, the the amount of talent that's out there um and the number of jobs that are out there there's a uh got to keep adding imbalance. perks yep. yep and so they keep adding perks and so there are a few companies that came along i want to say maybe like spotify or a few of those i can't remember who it is and they started doing you know three months four months five months and some of them are doing up to six months or a year i mean it's crazy the amount of time but it's a huge blessing when you're you know, when you do have a new family to be able to like be there and pitch. I mean, mm -hmm. I was changing diapers and getting up in the middle of the night and all the things like, and not, and not having to work the next day, at least for a few months, that was really, really nice. So. And so you went in, you, uh, resigned yep. on that Monday. And then, uh, I mean, what, what was your new reality? Yeah. Well, for right away, it didn't change because I was like, okay, I resigned. Um, I did okay in the acquisition. So I was like, I can take some time off and figure out what I want to do next. So I think, uh, that was like, well, we'll just keep going with what we're doing. And then I started talking with Steve again. And, uh, by this time he had left maybe a year, a year and a half before me. And so I told him, I'm like, you know, what are you guys up to? How, you know? And so he was like, well, we're working on box out. It's a cool, um, sports infographics. And we've been talking about it like the whole time. And so, uh, even before that about you know, me possibly joining or any of that kind of stuff. And so I was like, you know, what if I just, uh, joined you again? And so we've teamed up and, um, two other people with us and been working on that now since January. So can you give us a brief recap on, on what box out is? Yeah. They're what, uh, you, what you do every day. Yep. So same thing as uh, GitHub or any other place. I do backend programming. Um, the biggest thing that they do is uh, it's very similar to Harmony, but it's for basically for uh, social media instead of for websites. So we have custom built templates that are made by developers and designers. And then uh, 
end users who want to create a graphic for Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, they just go in and they type in the details. Um, and we've even built some stuff for like live stats. A lot of colleges, uh, it's heavily focused on colleges. Colleges have live stat systems where they are filling out during the game and then they can just drop a, a file onto our system or automatically transfer it over and we'll even populate all the stats for them. So literally they just go to like create a new graphic, bam, all the new stats are there, hit a button and they have this really nice looking on brand, you know, thing that they can share on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. And it has really helped uh, increase engagement for the colleges and the high schools that have been using it. So That's awesome. Before we get to lightning round, I want to talk about a few of your hobbies. <laughs> so, uh, so we know each other decently well. We play basketball together. Um, I want to start with basketball. Yeah. You, so you, we've talked before, and you were a big basketball fan, and you kind of went away from the NBA for a while. Yes. And then you got back in like 11, 12, 13, somewhere yep. in there. Mm -hmm. um, and – LeBron was the reason you came back. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Big LeBron fan. Yep. Yeah. I. Um, I'm not sure why. I remember when he was was coming into the NBA, and I remember the Sports Illustrated covers and like all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I knew he was was good, but I did not pay attention to it at, at all. Really. Basically, I, I was a uh, Sean Kemp and Michael Jordan, and so Sean Kemp kind of went to the wayside, uh, and Jordan was obviously Jordan. And so I remember cheering for the Bulls, and like when he left, it was just like. I mean, there was just – Kobe wasn't going to fill the void yeah. for me. No? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so I was like, all right, I'm done. So I just kind of – and that honestly, that period was ordered list and and Notre Dame and working a ridiculous – I didn't have, really have time for sports. Mm -hmm. uh, put on a lot of weight, uh, stopped watching the NBA. Um, when you say a lot of weight, how much are we talking? I would say from where I am right now, 50 pounds. Wow. Um, and the lowest I was at uh, a couple of years ago probably would have been like 70 or something like that, uh, that I ended up, I it's mean, just I was, so many hours at a computer. Yeah. It's yeah. just sitting at a computer. I mean, my hands, uh, had a lot of problems with my hands, my wrists, uh, I've written a lot of posts on like health problems related to program, you know, back hips. And your hands or wrists are good now. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I found a healthy balance of like exercise, uh, eating better and an appropriate work slash life you know, relationship there. And so I don't have any problems. I had problems with uh, eye dryness, eye pain. I mean, to the point that I took like a month off multiple times at GitHub because I, I could not function. Uh, my eyes were, you know, so bad that every time I worked, it was, it was, I was toast. And you, you mentioned that with your eyes, it was a thing to where you could look at your phone couldn't. for a long yeah. time, but Kindle, you were okay. You're a big reader. Yep. Um, has that subsided or you still try to limit your phone time? I still limit my phone time. It's basically a camera and a paperweight for me. And beyond <laughs> that, I, you know, I still, I have like compute. It's a, yeah, stupid, expensive paperweight, but, um, the cameras are so good on them. And when you have kids, you just want to yep. constantly take photos. So that's, that's the primary use beyond that. Um, yeah, it's not a lot. It still bothers my eye. Like I can go an hour or two hours in a day. Uh, but that's usually if I'm using my actual computer vision glasses, which are like that fixed my problem for the computer was basically I was having a problem focusing with my one eye. So my brain brain doesn't trust my one eye for some reason. So that eye just kind of zooms in and out all the time mm -hmm. unless I have the right distance glasses on. So crazy stuff you learn when you work way too much at a computer. How many books will you knock out in a month? It ebbs and flows just like everything. But I mean, you know, I read basically 10 to 15 minutes every night in bed. Uh, until I've dropped my Kindle on my face enough that I, I'm like, okay, it's time to stop. 
Um, and so I'll get through uh, book lengths are different. So Tim Ferriss writes huge books. Mm-hmm. I've written other books, you know, that you can read in a week or in a couple days or something like that. So I would say in a year, you know, maybe 10, 20, 30 books, not, you know, I'm not going to blow anybody away, but every book I read is nonfiction focused on something that will make me better. So you don't mix something. in fiction at all. I don't read any fiction. Nope. Yeah. I, I mix in fiction before bed. Because okay. I feel like if I do nonfiction before bed, my mind is going and mm. I have this idea, this idea, this idea. So I tried to do fiction, which t- makes it takes forever to finish the fiction yeah. books because I'm only doing 10, 15 minutes before bed. Yep. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So do you have a couple books that you finished recently that you would recommend? I mean, on the basketball topic, yeah, yep. I read Sprawl Ball. Um, Kirk Scoldsbury. Yep. yep. Uh, that was all analytics and basketball. That was great. And though I you know, did not like Kobe. I read his Mamba Mentality book and it was really good. Um, I found... Big Kobe fan now? Not a Kobe... I can't say I'm a Kobe fan, but I am a Kobe follower now. Yeah, okay. So I I followed him on Instagram. I followed his Mamba, whatever, Sports Academy thing. Um, I can tolerate him now. But uh, I think it was just, you know, like when you're a Jordan fan and then you see this guy who's like a clone of Jordan, you're just like, okay, you didn't even like try and... Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's what probably what it was. And on the basketball topic, more personally, I mean, we play basketball, you know, a few yeah. times a week. You love playing basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a pretty good shooter. <laughs> and, you, and you're getting to be a better shooter. So, I mean, you can it. tell the listeners, you shoot every day, almost every day. Yeah. It's a good stress relief for you. Yep, I shoot every day. It, uh, I think mentally, it's kind of like my meditation time. I don't actually... You get to just zone out. Yep. I crank on some music, and I just I go for like 100 makes. And so that, that process of just counting 100 times of the you know that's obviously a lot more shots than that but counting the times where it it's goes like 103 through, shots yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> at least maybe 104 yeah. um it just gets you i think it it's calming and i've actually found that i can transfer it to other points of my life i mean even just like being interviewed on a podcast i get I get nervous before mm-hmm. that and there's extra energy and i just feel like when you're when you're on the basketball court and you're shooting and you can kind of you get this calm, you feel this calm, you can kind of come back to it. You can adjust your breathing. You can do those kinds of things to come back to it in other times. And I found it super helpful. I've only been doing it for a couple months. Um, but yeah, and it's definitely helped with consistency on the shot a lot. So speak of the gospel of cold brew. So <laughs> I am the epitome of lazy. Oh, you just lit up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> no idea. So I'm like super lazy. I am okay. not a snob. I mean, I'll drink, you know, coffee, straight out of the, the, you know, the church coffee pot that's been sitting there for days. I, I don't care, but I absolutely love good coffee too. Cold brew came from uh, having, actually from basketball, because I sprained my ankle really bad. I was on crutches. I was, my doctor was like, take a bunch of ibuprofen, totally wrecked my stomach and ended up with not an ulcer, but kind of like that. And so I just couldn't do any acid, but I could not give up coffee. So I was like, what, how do I lower the acid and found cold brew? And I was like, okay. So then I started making it on my own. I, I got a, it's called Filtron, F-I-L-T-R-O-N. And you basically just like literally grind coffee, shove it in with some water, let it sit for a, a whole day. And then when it's done, you drain it out through a filter in the, in the system already. And you get, I don't know how many ounces it is. I've never measured it, but basically it's a concentrate. So you can do one ounce of that to like four or five, six ounces of water, and you can do it cold or hot. It doesn't matter. So there's times when I wake up, I do it with ice and cold. There's times that I wake up and I just do it hot. Usually I do it hot. I'm already at least two ounces of concentrate in this morning. I actually brought some for you. Yes, because so, I've been asking about it. Yep. 
I, I remembered. I put it in my backpack. Awesome. I forgot about it until you just said it right now. So you, you should be glad you Good. asked me that question. Awesome. Uh, it's fantastic and it's super lazy. I mean, I can make my coffee by pouring two ounces in a measuring cup and then, you know, eight ounces of water, one to four ratio, and I'm and I have enough coffee to like wake me up no matter what happened last night. So, definitely a huge fan. You want to do some lightning round questions? Sure. All right. Would you rather know how you're gonna die or when you're gonna die? <laughs> I think how. Yeah. Yeah, I don't wouldn't yeah. want to know. When. You don't want an expiration date. I would obsess yeah. over it. Yeah, but how would be okay? Because then you would obviously. I mean, obviously you would then avoid that thing, but that would be. Well, if it's like all right. you get shot in the back of the head. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's true. That could be worse. You might. I guess maybe find out both and then have your like Will Smith in Men Men in Black like yeah. the one wiped out. And yeah. Just choose that would that'd be what I choose. Yeah. Okay. Uh, have you ever been stuck in an elevator? We were talking about elevators a little bit before yeah. we started, but have you ever been stuck? No, I don't think I've ever been stuck. Okay. I've been in a lot of smelly ones, but. Would you be okay if you got stuck? I would be okay as long as there weren't too many people. Like if it was, if the people to elevator size ratio was off, then I would definitely get claustrophobic. Like uh, if there's a ton of people in a room, that's, I can, I can very easily exit the room and have no problem with that. But yeah, I think that would be, that would be the only problem is if there's a lot of people. Do you watch any TV or movies? TV yes, shows or movies? Going through Parks and Rec right now. Okay. Again, we've watched it before, but it's a fantastic show, so. So this question, uh, I'm interested to hear the answer. Would you rather miss the last 10 minutes of every TV show and movie that you watch or the last 10 minutes of every sporting event that you watch? TV. You have to give one of them up. Mm. TV show and movie or sporting event. And there's no, you don't get to see the news the next day or anything? Um... <laughs> I guess that would that would lean it toward one way or another. No, you don't get. Yeah. Okay, if you don't get to, if you really no, don't get those to last know, ten minutes are dead to you. They're gone. They're Men in Black, Will Smith, with your little wand. I would say I'd rather know the end of the shows and okay. not know the sporting events. Yeah. When you hear the word successful, does anyone specific come to your mind? The. Oddly enough, the first one that came to mind was uh, Howard Schultz of Starbucks. Okay. Um, and we've talked a little about him off air. So I mean, that's a bright dude. Yeah. You, you actually have a pretty decent story about him, don't you? I was nearly tackled by his bodyguards. <laughs> tell, yeah. tell that. Yeah. So <laughs> he spoke at Notre Dame, and I was working there at the time, so in Mendoza. So I went over and watched it with my friends. And afterwards, he was talking down at the, at the bottom, and he was shaking hands and stuff. And I'm like, he's a billionaire. I got to shake his hand. So we go down. We get in line and doesn't happen I and mean, it's obvious like it's a super long line so we leave uh, we're old anyways we'll let all the young kids wait in line so we go out and as we go out we see him and his bodyguards they exit like a side door and we're probably like several hundred feet away and i was like oh i'm like there he is i'm like i looked at my friend i'm, like, I'm gonna go shake his hand and they're like okay like whatever so i, I go t kind of running slash jogging across the field and all of a sudden I can hear my friends yelling at me and I'm like, what is going on? So I stopped and I look back and they were like, look at his bodyguards. And both of his bodyguards were on alert, like shoulders braced. Manned they were up. ready. They were, <laughs> I was going to be destroyed. <laughs> so I, thankfully, uh, I stopped walking and what I did is I just held my hand out. And at this point we were like 50 feet away and he walked through the grass off the sidewalk over and shook my hand, talked for a little while, asked me what I did, that kind of stuff. It was really cool. That's awesome. 
Let's do, uh, if you could have one thing free for the rest of your life. I'm pretty loose with what thing is. It could be gas, coffee, groceries, whatever. What would you choose? Anything, mm, anything related to basketball, I think. Anything related to like, like a shooting gun or, you know. It's like basketball equipment. Yeah. Basically, you get the equipment magazine. You can yes. say, have this, this, anything and this delivered. Yeah. That yeah. Floor, hoops. Are you going to get a gun? That. They're too expensive, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's a Dr. Dish IC3 that's like a little, that'll just kind of yeah. burp the ball back to you. I think I'll maybe go for that. So it's in my cart. It's in your cart. <laughs> you know what, John? Splurge today. <laughs> you deserve it. Go home. Treat yourself. Empty that cart. Um, do you have any unusual habits or superstitions? Um, I always take my eggs out of the carton in a pattern. Not the same pattern, but I don't what know What do you why. mean not the same pattern? Because it... There, you can get a lot of symmetry in two by six. And so I, I'm just very symmetrical about everything. And so probably that's one of the weirder things is like if there's, you know, three, three eggs in the corner on this side with two eggs on the top and one on the bottom, and I have like five eggs over here, okay. and I'm going to eat two eggs, yep. then I take two. So I have the same kind of like upside down L on both sides. That kind of stuff. You just I don't, don't want to work like left to right. You need to keep your right and left. I want it to be balanced. Whatever okay. it is, if you take off the edge, if you take off the Will middle. Will you eat an extra egg or put it, or maybe not have an egg that you want to keep yeah. it symmetrical? Yep. All right. Oh, yeah. That's pretty normal, I guess. I think so. <laughs> um, hobbies. I know one is camping. Yep. Yep. B- big into camping. Yep. How We're, many weekends will you camp a year, you think? Um, usually like five or six. It was a little lighter this year. I don't remember why, but it just worked out that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually like five or six. And then we try to go on like a long trip too. Um, we went out to Yellowstone when my son was two and a half. Um, that was really fun. That was like three weeks and that was still at GitHub. They were, again, they were really awesome about that kind of stuff to get a lot of vacation time too. Yeah. Yeah. They had unlimited vacation time, which no one really took advantage of. So at some point they finally were like a minimum of 21 days or something like that. So people had to take those days basically. Um, cause if you say unlimited, they hiring or what? Yeah, they, <laughs> probably <laughs> rapidly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 21 days. It was something. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what it is anymore. So but they had yeah. to force people to take vacation. They, I think because, yeah, everyone loved what they were doing, especially at, at certain points. Um, there was a lot of freedom. And so I remember they were like, okay, now we have a minimum number of days. Because people with Unlimited, they felt – sometimes they felt bad. They're like, well, am I putting out my teammates? Right, or right. like, And so you know, that just made it a little easier, I think, mentally on some people. We're at a uh, – we're in a schoolyard. And on one side, there's 10 10-year-olds. <laughs> and on the other – I know you've heard this one. On the other side, there's 100, 100-year-olds. Yeah. Who are you putting your money on? I feel like the 100-year-olds are more likely to be aggressive. So that's like... Kind of nothing to lose type thing? Exactly. And maybe more of that, like you're either getting better or bitter. So like maybe at, at like 100, you got some people that are just like really ticked off, just a couple of them, and they're still sprightly enough to like... The 10-year-olds, most of the 10-year-olds I know, like they're sassy, but they're not really mean or like aggressive. So I could see the 100-year-olds maybe coming up with a way. Bring one back from last season because you mentioned your mathematician. Let's put that to the test. In a standard above-ground pool, can you like have that in your mind? Like a standard above-ground pool? Okay. Like someone would have like the circular ones? Yep. How long do you think it would take you to drink all the water out of that? Yeah. So, I mean, eight ounces in a cup. Okay. Here we go. Um, boy, I, that's, I have a friend 
can I, I if I could phone a friend, I would probably phone him. <laughs> Um, cause he's like super good at napkin math, but I would say I, I, my gut says you can't drink through it in a lifetime. I don't know why, but that's just what it, I think it went out to. So this was assuming like a gallon a day, which is, that's a, a lot. lot of water. Yeah. And it was like a touch over 20 some years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so standard drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Print. Prison life, years, yeah. prison life term. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. prison. That's what I meant. I was thinking of prison life term. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Rob, who's in here too. I mean, we'll just ask this to random people, and we've gotten anywhere from a few hours. Oh to no, a day. Gosh. no, they've obviously <laughs> never someone tried like, see someone try and drink a gallon of milk. Yeah. That was I remember in college, and boy, that gallon comes Did out you fast. Try? No, I, I'm I was smart. I knew there was something, <laughs> some kind of a trick that it would not end well. You know. <laughs> He's just observed. Yep. Yep. It wasn't pretty. I won't discuss it. <laughs> Would you have you ever solved a Rubik's Cube? No, huh? Would you rather go to jail for a year or go with a Rubik's Cube and you can leave when it's solved? Rubik's Cube. And you can't like use Google to like do the you like have to figure it out on your own. Rubik's Cube. You think yeah. you get it? I think I year? could do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna find a couple more here. If you could so say the aliens came down. Mm-hmm. And uh, we needed to send like an ambassador from the human race to go mm-hmm. talk to him. Who are you sending? Maybe they have to be alive still. No, the aliens came. All rules are off. Okay, cool. You can bring back anybody. I, I might send my grandpa. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just can be cool with anybody. Yeah. yeah. He he was just always uh, just very kind and generous, and I feel like that's what you would. Anyone who was kind and generous, that's what you would want to send. I like that. We want to tick them off. Yeah. Yeah, pro- yeah probably don't want to upset the aliens. Um, let's do the last one. Would you rather be uh, filthy rich in the year 1900 mm. or poor now? Hmm. Poor now. Assume I- you're not like a genius and you can just make a bunch of money in like a week now. Yeah, like you're just a standard person. I would say, I would say poor now because yeah. I, I mean the standard of living is just a lot better now than it ever has been. At least based on you know some of the science Even like and the modern that medicine. I've, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so and money money's not where happiness is. You mm-hmm. know, there's lots of people who aren't you know 1900s wealthy and are extremely happy. So. Awesome. Thanks for coming by. I've been trying to get you on for yeah. a while, uh, able to tell us a story. Um, and I, I usually ask this before the lightning round questions, but I wanted to save it for the very end. Uh, advice that you would give um, to maybe a high school or college student or even someone who's starting later um, and on the tech side of things or software side of things would like to build something on their own. What advice would you give them? Just build a lot of things. Just uh, build a lot of things. Stay it feels boring to say stay persistent, but I, I really do feel like if people don't give up and they keep being intentional about improving, that they'll they'll click eventually. You know, it's faster for some people because maybe they have more luck or whatever, or more intelligence or better application of it. But I would say stay per- persistent and just keep trying, and um, it'll happen. Awesome. Thanks for coming by. We're going to get out of here and go play some basketball. Yeah. And, uh, Again, thanks for coming by. Appreciate it, John. Thank you.